0: Thanks for all who continue to listen. Now for Season 3, Episode 3, on MLK Day, the White House of the Confederacy. So, today's MLK Day, and I have a lot of reflections on MLK Day, but I thought, I would sort of reflect on this part of... Or this aspect of my training. This past... um, This past um, week... um, I was at my church, Altamesa Church of Christ. I'm a member, actually, in Fort Worth. Because usually when I'm off, I'm visiting my parents and my sister and my two nieces in Fort Worth. And if I'm not off... Like this weekend, this upcoming weekend, I'm on call. I usually like to watch online, or especially since COVID, I've watched online. And Lauren um, gave a sermon. We're going through the book of John. And what's unique in the Bible about the book of John is John really talks about the relationships Jesus has with individuals and with people. And Lauren did an exceptionally great job of summarizing and preaching about the Samaritan woman in the book of John, and I kept thinking about myself when she was discussing, and basically, if you look back in the Bible, a lot of the big events come by meeting at at a well. And Jesus was alone, and actually, this conversation between him and a Samaritan woman is the longest that's recorded in the Bible. And basically, Samaritans were not felt as worthy as Jews. And so, first the Samaritan woman replied like, am I even worthy to for you to ask me to provide you water? And Jesus speaks metaphorical about Providing water that will quench your thirst for eternity. And that was him. And he asked her to bring her husband. And she replies, I do not have a husband or live with a husband. And he said, you speak truth. The man you're currently with is not your husband. And you've been divorced five times. And he gives this woman a message that she takes back to Samaria that he's the Messiah. And he does it with someone you would think Jesus, and this is the one thing about Christians, you think you have to have a checklist to be a Christian. And actually in the Bible, it shows that Jesus didn't, have, didn't use the people that were, people felt were the best people to be used for his ministry. And she spread his gospel. And he chose her to spread his gospel in, in in Samaria. And actually, when he went and preached, people already knew about him because of her. And I think that's sort of how I felt about with neurosurgery. Um, in neurosurgery, at the time I went into training there was only 190 spots in the whole country and i remember when i first interviewed at virginia and richmond it was my first interview um there were 16 of us and i was the only female there was 15 other men and i kept looking at the applicants around me and i'm like am i worthy and not because of i, I I knew in my heart I was worthy, but because of what people perceive as those checklist being male, you know um, is in for neurosurgery, that was the number one, and then being even a female and much less a minority female, that dropped me several notches and I keep thinking, and my sister, um, I had my birthday. I turned 41, and so I actually went up to Fort Worth this last weekend, and um, the family went to Papa Doe's for my birthday supper. Actually, we went, like, before we went the next day after my birthday, um, and we went sort of lunch dinner because all the cowboys were in Fort Worth for the stock show. There were so many trailers and horses, so we decided to go in between, so we had get a table. That being said, my sister was saying, Leslie, you always do so well when people put you under pressure your whole life. You actually succeed when things are against you. And, and I didn't realize it. And and I don't like try to prove myself, but I think it's because during that time I pray a lot and God always in hindsight gets me through and gets me through better than I thought I could be. But with neurosurgery, there's lots of checklists, like your extracurricular, your GPA, your board scores, your research. And I remember later once I was in residency, I would look at these applicants and I'd be like, oh my goodness, how did I make it? Like, I'm glad I made it when I did. But I remember going through and thinking, you know, if you size me up next to the people beside me, I would not put me, myself as, you know, because what, looking at what, the world looks like, and what the world looks at, even though I was successful academically, and I was successful with research and everything, all those check marks, I still, I guess, I didn't feel worthy. And I really feel like God, and I didn't go into med school want to be neurosurgery. I sort of fell in love with it, and I feel like God, God directed me to that. So. It's, it wasn't like I had this neuroscience, undergrad, research, et cetera. And all these people around me did. And I realized God opened a lot of doors for me. And that being said, in Richmond, there was the White House of the Confederacy. That was right by the hospital. I walked by, I could see it out when you look out the windows from the hospital, depending on the building you were in, every day. And it was a reminder of where I came from. And the people that are represented and who I represented for getting that spot in training. It I don't know how to explain it. It would be similar to I guess someone who was Jewish walking by the concentration camp every day, and not the not, but you know, sort of like the museum because it was a museum. And I think it should be there. I think it should be a historical site because you have to learn from your history. You have to learn from the mistakes. But it'd be similar to a Jewish person walking next to the like. concentration camp every day, going through training. It reminded me every day of the opportunity I had. And a lot of people, if you put me beside the other people, they would have not thought I would be as strong as I was. And oddly enough, I remember when I graduated, my program director got up and what was unique about my graduation was Every surgeon that trained me was there, and I can't remember. I might have said this before. I can't remember that from anybody else. There was no other applicant or trainee that every surgeon that trained them made sure they showed up for their graduation. And a lot of people, and you know, and I, and I get and. And I never doubt people when they evaluate whether or not for me to get a second opinion. I think if I was not in the position I was, and I saw me as a surgeon, I would automatically doubt, does she know what she's doing? And and I'll tell two stories to say, yes, I do. Or actually three stories. I'll first start off by... Every time, once I learned that Jefferson Davis actually his son fell off the stairs of the White House of the Confederacy, instead of by being walking by it and thinking about where her nation had had came from, and if I had been a lot older, I would not have the privilege of being a neurosurgery trainee in Richmond, Virginia, or, or in the U.S. Nonetheless. I remember thinking if I had been there, I would have saved Jefferson Davis' son from his head injury and he would have survived. And it was a totally different approach. God had made me someone, quote unquote, a Sumerian woman, unworthy as a strong individual, the one he wanted to be a neurosurgeon, the one he wanted to help save people's lives and help improve their pain and suffering. And so my two stories go that my program director got up and said, Leslie, I would have not thought this when you started, but you are the most well-rounded surgeon I've ever trained in the last 15 years. And he said that in front of all the residents that were still there. Everybody shook their head. And that meant a lot to me. Especially every day of training I walked by the White House and the Confederacy. It showed me that it wasn't the color of my skin. It wasn't Me being a female. It was my heart, my dedication, and my love for my patients and for the staff and the team that helped me take care of them that made me the person that I was then and that I am now. And so when people question or say, Do I need a second opinion or do I need it from, I don't want to be ugly, from a white guy. And I love my white guy resident friends. they are great. Jason and I are like brother and sister, and we got through training so and and I love him dearly and when I was going through divorce he was he was like one of the first people I called for advice and how to handle it, and not just from like you know with with starting my own practice and dealing with that and he Jason gave me great advice on my divorce, too. And so I'm not saying that as a race thing for any people that are Anglo. I consider myself white, too. But I remember my first—so basically with neurosurgery training, we had seven years. Neurosurgery across the country was six years— it went from six to seven years, and so we grandfathered us in where I had completed training at six years, and my seventh year was faculty. And I think it was September, so it might have been one to two months into my faculty year. When And um, it was Sunday evening, and I was actually at the VA. I think I was at the VA seeing a consult or doing notes. I can't remember, which was about ten minutes from the down from the campus downtown. And I got a call about emergency from one of my junior residents. And I said, I'll be there. And I went in and there's a patient with a large blood clot on the brain. And the ER basically gave me a brief. This is a VIP person. And I realized after they told me who they were and I said we have to take them back to surgery right now they'd been on blood thinner so I made sure they were reversed called the OR headed up there and I called Dr. Young on the way to the OR and I still remember where I was at and Dr. Young was my chairman I said I just want to let you know that so-and-so and he knew who this person was I'm having to take them back for an emergency brain surgery. And they might die, but I have to do it for them to survive. And because of who they are and because it's just my second year or second month, first or second month as a an attending, I'm okay if you come in. And Dr. Young said this to me. He said, Dr. Leslie, you don't need me, but if you need me, I'll come in. But you got this. And if your chairman who trains you two months into being faculty has enough confidence for you to operate on someone who I told him you're going to hear about this from the whole hospital tomorrow, even if I don't say anything, you will. So I wanted to give you the heads up. And he didn't come in. And I remember telling this patient later because he survived that I thought he was going to die on the table because his blood pressure dropped 40 over 20. And I did everything to save his life. And I did the quickest surgery. And actually, Lisa Feldman, she's a neurosurgeon out in Los Angeles, um, who has uh, specializes in tumors. She was my chief resident. That when we were done and we were talking to his wife and his daughter, she, t- she said, I sat with her while she talked, and I just sat speechless because I kept thinking over everything I did, knowing that I couldn't have done anything differently, but wasn't enough. And this VIP patient ended up being able to return to their life without any issues or without any permanent sequela, permanent sequela from the injury. And as a honor and respect to me, surprised me at being at this party and graduation that my uh, department hosted for me. And he sat at the table with me, with my, um, now ex-husband and my little girl. And thanked me for what I did for him. And, And on this MLK day, I am both a minority female. But... Walking by the White House of the Confederacy did not define me. And a lot of people like Martin Luther King sacrificed tremendously so I could be where I am today. And thus I pay it forward and I sacrifice. And I have dealt with so many racist issues being a neurosurgeon. But I sacrifice and I move forward for the people in the future. And And I think why it doesn't get to me is because I'm a Christian first, and I realize that God works through imperfect people and and I don't can't claim to be perfect. No one can be, but it's that knowledge that he chooses people to work through. And no matter what, he'll make it work because he has a plan. And that's what keeps me going. And that's what kept me going every day as I walked by the White House of the Confederacy to train to be the surgeon that I am now. And I hope and I pray that someday not all patients will look at my gender, or look at my ethnicity to decide whether or not I'm capable. And maybe they'll take that leap of faith that my chairman did September 2014 when I saved that VIP person's life, knowing that I was capable. And no matter how important that person was, I could handle it. Thanks for all who continue to listen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I hope you enjoyed.